Good morning. Um, today we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 5, uh, verses 6 to 11, so I'll get you to turn there. Uh, this is the first of a two-part series that I have the privilege of preaching. Uh, next week, Kyle will be preaching, and the series is called God, A Worthy Focus. And while that might seem pretty obvious and, and sort of simple, God, A Worthy Focus, of course, the reality is a lot of the time we don't focus on God. We're focused on the world around us, on the evil that we see. We're focused on ourselves. We're even focused sometimes on what God has done and not on God himself. And so we're going to be preaching this series, and I get the privilege of preaching uh, from Romans 5. And so as you turn to Romans 5, let me just uh, unpack some of the context. It's really important that we see this as we go. So Paul here is preaching to the church in Rome. Uh, and through the first few chapters of Romans, we see this massive divide shown. So you have this, on the one side, you have this righteous, perfect, holy God, this God who is flawless and with and sinless perfection. And on the other side, you have sinful man. You have us. You have us completely separated from God and really hopeless. Bible says we're all sinners. Every single one is fully sinful. And you see this just really this separation that is, is horrible because we're completely separated from God. And even though we were created to find our joy fully in God, in a relationship with God, we have no chance of being with God. The good news, though, is that as we look through these verses, we also see that not only is God a God of justice and righteousness, he's also a merciful God and a God of love who's pouring out his grace on his people, which is absolutely amazing. And you get right through to chapter 4, near the end of chapter 4, and he says, you see that God had ordained a way that he could justly judge sin and yet also make sinners right, which is really amazing. He might justify the unjust as a gift through faith. And so Paul gets right down to chapter 4, and he says that all who believe in God would be counted righteous. This is the whole point. He says, Christ came, he made us he made us right. He made us righteous. In fact, verse four, chapter 4, verse 24, it says, It, righteousness, he's righteousness he's talking about here, will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus Christ our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Righteousness counted to those who believe in Christ. So you have these sinners and you have this holy God, and then you have Jesus by his death on the cross making us righteous. You have him, he came, he lived a perfect sinless life. Through his death on the cross, he came, he, he laid down his life on the cross for us. Like, these are things that we, we grow up being familiar with, and we, we lose sight of how glorious they are. Christ laid down his life on the cross. By his death, he purchased our righteousness. He was buried. And the third day, God raised him from the grave, and he's ruling on high and interceding on our behalf. And because of this, we are made just. We are made righteous before God. And this is, this is why we celebrate Christmas. This is the reason to celebrate. It's amazing. It's glorious. Our sins have been taken as far as the east is from the west, the Bible says. We are made right before God. And so in chapter 5 of Romans, where we're going to be dealing with today, Paul turns a corner and he starts to unpack justification and what that means. He's like, hold on. It's almost like Paul gets to a point. He's like, wait, I don't think you're catching how glorious God is. I don't think you're, you're getting how awesome what he's done truly is, what he actually accomplished for you. So he's like, let's just stop. Let's take a gander. Let's take a look at what Paul, at what God has done here. And so Paul starts working through verses 1 to 5, and he says, Since we've been justified, we have peace with God through Jesus. We stand in grace. And, and because of that, we rejoice in the hope of, a glory, of glory with God, a hope of standing in glory with God, a hope of being glorified with God, a hope of experiencing God's glory. And he says, And that hope, that glory is so amazing that we rejoice in anything that will strengthen that hope. In fact, he says, we rejoice in suffering because it strengthens that hope. And he unpacks how that does. And he says, that's a hope, though. That hope in the glory of God is a hope that won't put us to shame 
because it's anchored in the love of God, which was poured out on us and in us when he was given us the Holy Spirit. And so Paul is getting all this. He's unpacking all these things that God has done and accomplished through making us right. And he's unpacking all of this. And it's like when he gets to the point of love, it's like that one person who stops and is like, hold on, Paul, what do you mean God poured out his love on us? Like, I preach to the youth generally. And so there's always that one person who's like, wait, what? And I get that. And so he, Paul says that. And this guy's like, Paul, what do you mean by love? And so Paul, being the good apostle he is, whips out his flannel graph and is like, all right, listen up. And he shows us and he unpacks through verses 6 to 11 what we have, what we've experienced in God. And so that brings us to Romans 5, 6. And my, my prayer today is that as we see this, as we see all that God has accomplished for us, we would see his greatness. That we wouldn't get fixed on what God has done, but we would see through the things that God has done, God's greatness. So we would see that what Christ has done is awesome, but who he is is awesomer. Or if you can't bear to write that down, for those of you who love English, what he's done is great, but who he is is greater. Right? As we see the goodness of the gifts, of the things that Christ has accomplished for us, the things he's done for us, as we see the goodness of the gifts, we should see the greatness of the giver. Right? We should especially think about it, especially in light of what Christ has done for us when we were sinners, in light of who we were, in light of how awful and sinful and ungodly we were, in light of that, we should see how great those gifts were and rejoice in the giver all the more. This is why it matters. God created you and me so that our joy would be found in him. We can't let our joy be anchored in anything less than God himself. We need to get our focus on God. We need to see the glorious things that he's accomplished on our behalf. And then in thankfulness, let those glorious things reveal how great he is. So that's the call this morning, is to be thankful for what Christ has done for you, but to rejoice that you get to be with him. The one who is so great, so glorious. That's the call. Let our boasting be in God. The Bible says not to boast in yourself, but it says we can boast in God. We can rejoice, we can exalt in how great our God is. And in his greatness, which we get to enjoy, because we've been reconciled to him, we can enjoy, we can rejoice in him, we can praise him. So, the goodness of the gifts, they reveal the greatness of the giver. They reveal the greatness of our God, the one we get to be with forever. So let me read Romans chapter 5, verses 6 to 11. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God showed his love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've now received reconciliation. So let's just pray. Father, Thank you so much for your grace that you poured out on us. Lord, we couldn't do a thing. We were weak. We were ungodly. We were sinners. And you were perfect and holy. And yet you, you saved us. You came. You sent your son who came down to earth, who laid down his life so that we might be saved, so that we might be holy and righteous, so that we could be reconciled with you and enjoy you for all of eternity. So, Father, we ask right now, would you stir in our hearts a greater awe of you? Would you open our eyes 
to see the greatness and the goodness of all that you've done and rejoice in the greatness of who you are. Lord, we need you now. Holy Spirit, if you, if you don't work in our hearts, nothing happens. So please, would you work? Would you stir in our hearts? Would you open our eyes to see the glory of your word, to see the truth of who you are? Lord, we love you. Thank you, Christ, for dying on the cross in my place, in our place, Lord. Thank you for paying for the punishment for my sin, freeing me from the wrath of God, allowing me to stand before a holy God in righteousness. Lord, we love you, and we need you. So would you work in us today for your glory? Amen. Amen. So with three things, three realities that we experience in God, it's really been three gifts, you could put it this way, three gifts that show the greatness of the giver. So the first one, that brings us to the first one, unimaginable love. We experience unimaginable love in God because Christ died for us, and it's shown through that. So look at verses six to eight. It says, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So let's just walk right through this. While we were still weak, like this is us, the weak. It's actually an understatement. In, in the original language it says, means without strength. Like some translations translate it as powerless, utterly helpless. There was nothing we could do. We were morally weak, totally unable to come to God. There was no chance we had. We were weak, frail. Jonathan Edwards said, you contribute nothing to your salvation except for the sin that made it necessary. We were this week completely unable, and praise the Lord, he doesn't leave it there. Right? There's, a, there's a great follow-on to that sentence. While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Just, just think about that. God, in his perfect knowledge, picked the exact moment, not too soon, not too late, he picked the exact moment to come in history and lay down his life to save us. Like, how many times do we try to second-guess God in his timing? Like, how many times are we like, Lord, why didn't you answer this prayer sooner? Why haven't you bought me a spouse yet? Or why don't I have this job? Or, or we assume, the other side, we assume that God doesn't care because he hasn't answered yet. And and yet here we see not only a Savior who cares enough to lay down his life for us, to die for us, which that alone is amazing, but we have a Savior and a God who, despite enduring sinful rebellion day after day and all of our evil in his face, his wrath being held back day after day after day, God holding us all back, he still patiently waits for the right time to save us. Like That is amazing an amazing patience. And this is our God. He loves us enough to wait to save us and die for us. That's, he died for the ungodly. You see that? He says, Christ died for the ungodly. Like Paul's just layering the realities. Is not only were we weak, we were ungodly. We weren't just unable. We were actively refusing to love God. We were about as undeserving as you can get, morally unable. We were the opposite. We were turned away from God. And think about how jarring that is. The good Christ died for the wicked. The godly died for the ungodly. The hero died for the villain. Like just think about that reality. Christ, the perfect, holy, sinless one, died for us. Us, the morally bankrupt, the ungodly sinners. That is unimaginable love. It's a love that is beyond our comprehension, beyond my comprehension. And it, it's so great, there's no comparison. 
In fact, Paul is wise enough that he doesn't even try to illustrate it. I'm not that wise, so I tried, and I failed a lot. And I spent a lot of time trying to think of one. And I realized the reality is you can't. So Paul, just, Paul simply says, all right, I'm going to show you the best of what man has, like the absolute best of man. And then I'm going to show you how insanely different that is and how far that falls short of how awesome and glorious God's love is. And so Paul walks through it. He says, verse 7, look down at verse 7. He says, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. It's like Paul saying, imagine our very best of people, the very best of humans. You've got a You've got this righteous person. That's someone who's upstanding. They're a, they're a proper citizen. They obey the laws. They do, they do everything right. He says, now, even the best of humanity, even in the best of humanity, you'd be hard-pressed to find somebody who would be willing to lay down their life for that person. He's like, actually, let's take it a step farther. Imagine a good person. Not only are they righteous, but they care for others. They look after the needs. They help the homeless. They help the lost. They, they spend their life caring for the poor. He says, now, maybe, maybe you might find someone in the best of humanity, who was willing to die for that person. Just maybe. But then he blows the illustration away in verse 8 because he says, but God, I love it, but God is an amazing phrase, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is the demonstration of unimaginable good, of how good God's love is towards us. We weren't the good person. We weren't the righteous person. We were still sinners. Like we weren't just Doers of sin. We were defined by our sin. We were sinners. That is who we were. We loved self more than God. We lived for ourselves. We lived for our sin. We were defined by it. And yet the perfectly good one, the perfectly righteous one, died for us. Do you see that love? God gives up his son to come and live a life here on earth for the sole purpose of laying that life down, of dying a horrible, violent death in our place, of bearing all of our sin, your sin, my sin, on the cross, standing before God, bearing the entire wrath of God for that sin, the punishment that we deserved, Christ takes in our place. And then he's buried. And then he's raised from the dead, again, in our place, so that we might have the righteousness of God, so that God could take awful, wicked sinners and make them gloriously righteous, his children. Like, that is unimaginable love. There was nothing in us to love, but God chose to put his love on us and make us glorious. What a Savior. I mean, this is not just a reality. If you don't know the Lord, that is an amazing promise, amazing hope. You are not too bad. You cannot be. When you were, you were at your worst, that's when Christ saved me. When I was lost in my sin, wicked and dead, that is the hope and promise for every single person is that you can know Jesus, we can know Jesus. And if, as Christians, we should be rejoicing in this. Like this, is, this reality of God's unimaginable love, of Christ dying for sinners such as us, this just knocks down so many of the lies we believe. These lies that deceive us, they pull our focus off of God. Think about the lie that perhaps I had something to offer and that's why God loves me. It's a subtle one. It's one that often gets rooted in our heart and we don't see it, but we say, you know, I mean, I'm pretty awesome, right? No, I'm not. And yet we have this, this lie and it, it starts to creep in. We start to believe that our salvation, our standing with God is somehow based on our value. And when anxiety creeps in, when you have a bad season at work, when you find yourself alone at school, when close friends reject you, when a sickness never goes away, when your spouse betrays you, when these things happen, if you believe your value is based on who you are and what you bring to the table, then not only will this rock your life, 
but it rocks your faith. And it'll crumble because it isn't based on God, it's based on you. Christ didn't die for you because you were all right. You were all right because Christ died for you. He made you right. He took a weak, ungodly sinner and he made us sinless, righteous, justified children of God. Like this is massive. And this reality also knocks down the other side of that lie, right? The, the one side of lies that you have that I'm like, I'm awesome. The other side of lies you have that I'm not good enough. It's really a half truth. The devil tries to tell you you're not good enough. Like when he tries to sell you the lie that God doesn't love you right now, or when you are feeling far from the love of God, when you see the sin in your life and that guilt makes you want to hide from God, and you're like, there's no way, there's no way he could forgive me again. I can't imagine how he could forgive me again. Like in those moments, preach the truth to ourselves. We need to be preaching the truth to ourselves in those moments. I am not good enough. I never was. That's, that is a joyful truth. In fact, at my worst, when I was extremely sinful, that's when God chose to save me. That's when he loved me and laid down his life for me. He still loves me. My standing in God is not based on who I am. It's based on the fact that Christ did it. It's on his finished work on the cross. That's where my standing is anchored. It's rooted in God's love and his unchanging character. In this way, God is not like us. He is unchanging. He is faithful. He will never stop. If he loved me at my worst, he's going to continually love me now that I'm one his righteous child. It is amazing reality. I am not good enough, but he is, and he made me right. And I stand in his righteousness every day. I know it seems like a Sunday school reality, but it is so massive to stay rooted in the fact that Christ died for you. He laid down his life for you. So thank God for this glorious gift, but don't just stop there. Don't just stop and thank God for the gift. Let the gift, let the greatness and goodness of that gift reveal the greatness of our God, the greatness of the giver. When there was nothing desirable in you, Christ gave his life to save you. That's unimaginable love. And Matthew Henry puts it this way. He says, Christ died for sinners, not only such as were useless, but such as were guilty and hateful, such that their everlasting destruction would be to the glory of God's justice. Think about that. The ever, our everlasting destruction would be to the glory of God's justice. And yet Christ died for us. And for such as these, Christ should die is a mystery. No other such instance of love is known, so that may well be the employment of eternity to adore and wonder at it. We get to spend eternity just wondering, how could a God so love people like us? That's what, I look forward to that day, just sitting and understanding a bit more how God could love me that he was that great, just to taste a bit more of that love, that imaginable love. And the more you contemplate on that, the more you will see how unimaginably great the love is, that God's love is, our God, the one that we get to know and spend eternity with. He didn't just save us. We get to be with a God who loved enough to die for us. Like, that's, that is amazing. So we see this unimaginable love. The second thing we see, though, is undeserved mercy. We had experienced undeserved mercy in God. Christ saved us. Look at verses 9 and 10. Paul carries on. Verse 9 says, Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. And so he says, Since therefore we have now been justified since therefore we have now been justified. So that word justified, it means declared righteous. Not just labeled righteous, but pardoned from guilt and pardoned from the penalty of our sin. And 
not just wiped clean of sin, not just having our sin removed, but also given Christ's righteousness so that we can be accepted by God. It's a glorious word. It's a glorious reality. We have been made right before God. And he says we've been justified by his blood, by his shed blood on the cross. Our standing, our right standing before God, which is purchased by Christ's violent death on the cross. And for the Hebrews, they would have seen this, and the believers, the Jews, they would have seen this and gone, it's Christ's sacrifice because they see the blood shed to save them sins. And it, all through history would have reminded them back, this was our sacrifice in our place. Christ died on the cross. He bought me. He purchased that. I love it. He says, since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. This is what Paul is saying here. He's saying, since through Christ's death on the cross for us, since this unparalleled demonstration of love, since this is true and we have been justified, since Christ has absorbed all of the guilt and all of the punishment that we deserve, since all of that is true, we can be confident that we will be saved by him from the wrath of God. And like, the wrath of God. We deserved the punishment for our sins. The just punishment, which is God's wrath, his righteous anger against evil, put on us for all of eternity. That's what we deserved. We, we have a hard time imagining how evil our sin is. We can barely comprehend the depravity of our evil, of our sin. Right? We like to whitewash it and, and hide it away and, and, and make it disappear. But the reality is our sin was very evil. It is disgusting to God and his wrath for all of eternity poured on the sin is the right response. And yet we have this amazing reality that Christ, by his blood, saved us from the wrath of God. Like, though we deserve it, we can be confident we won't receive it. That is undeserved mercy. And verse 10 hammers the point home. It says, verse 10 says, For if while we were still enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. And so here's the argument Paul uses. It's an argument from the greater to the lesser. Uh, parents, we do this all the time. You'll know this. We'll sit there and we'll use arguments like, Gideon, my son, he's really fast. And if I open a chocolate bar in the kitchen, parents, you know where I'm going with this. If I open a chocolate bar in the kitchen, he'll be in his bedroom. He'll hear like that. And he will there, like, boom, he's right there in front of me. He is from his room, full sprint. You can hear him running across the house. There's shockwaves going into the neighbor's house, I think. But yeah, I'll say to him, okay, Gideon, if you can get here this fast for a chocolate bar, it's not even your chocolate bar, it's mine. But if you can get here this fast, then for sure you can walk quickly to me when I call you for a chore. Now, it works in theory. In reality, argument with a four-year-old doesn't really work. But the point is, parents, we use this. We use this argument, the greater to the lesser. And this is what Paul's doing. He says, hold on. Before we were reconciled to God, when we were enemies, right? Not just weak, not just ungodly, not just sinners. We were enemies. We were literally against God. We were fighting for my glory and not his. My way, not his. My praise, not his. My rules, not his. We were his enemies. And if while we were, when we were enemies, if God's mercy and grace is so great that he showed it to us while enemies, then imagine how great his mercy and grace will be towards us now that we are his children. And if that's not enough, despite that being our hopeless state, despite being enemies, Christ was able by his death to reconcile us, to restore us back together with a perfectly righteous and holy God who created all things and rules in sinless perfection. If, if Christ was able, like just imagine this, if Christ was able to accomplish all of that by his death, which is normally a sign of weakness, then imagine what he could do if he was resurrected, brought back to life, ruling in heaven and interceding on our behalf. 
Like Christ accomplished all of this by his death. Imagine what he can do by his life, living and ruling. Like that is, that's amazing. And so if he can accomplish the impossible by his death, then church, he can for sure keep us by his living power. And that's the argument that Paul is making. He says, in the weakness of God, his mercy wasn't held back. In fact, it was lavished upon us. It was poured out on us. So in the power of God, we can know without a doubt that we will continue to receive mercy. We can be confident that when we stand before God, he will say something like, though your evil was great and your sins were many, the wrath that has been stored up for you has been taken. It's been absorbed by my son on the cross. Like, do you see the undeserved mercy that God pours out on us? We who fully deserve the punishment for our sins didn't receive even one drop. Like, what a gift. What a giver. In fact, Romans 3.23 unpacks it a bit more. It says, it tells us that the only way a just God could lavish this kind of undeserved mercy on sinners such as us is for his son to come and die and bear the full weight of our punishment in our place. Like, for God to pour out this mercy, it took him sending his son, allowing his son to go and die in our place. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Right? We know this. If God is so glorious, like just, just step back and think about it. If you and I were the spot, I can speak for myself. If I was in the spot and someone said, hey, there's a way that you can save those violent criminals from the justice they deserve, I probably wouldn't. I'd probably be like, no, it's, it's justice. That's what they deserve. It's a good thing. Let them experience it. But imagine even if I was feeling merciful, even if I was feeling a bit merciful, and they said, okay, but to do that, you would have to sacrifice your son to save those violent criminals. You would have to let him go, become their shame, bear all of their guilt, receive all of the punishment for what they have done. That's what would be necessary, and then eventually he would have to die. That's what's necessary to save them. I, 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 don't, I can't do that. I don't have that to give. I would, I would not be able to, and yet God, in his great mercy and his power and his love, he made a way for weak, ungodly, sinners, wrath-deserving enemies to be saved, to be declared righteous, to have our punishment removed and, and to be kept in heaven for all of eternity. Like, do you see the undeserved mercy that our God has lavished on us? These are glorious gifts that God has given us, but there's a greater gift. Every one of these acts of God is beyond our ability and it goes beyond our comprehension to imagine. And every single one of them is glorious. And we ought to praise and we ought to thank God daily for them. But they aren't the main thing. They aren't the reason that Christ came to die. All those great things that Christ has done, all these amazing gifts that he's poured out on us, those were simply God getting the obstacles out of the way so that we could be with God for all of eternity. The glorious realities of, of justification and, and saving us from the wrath of God and making us right, these were simply God getting things out of the way the problems, the obstacles out of the way so that we can be reconciled to God for all of eternity. We get to be with God, this God who is so loving and so great with the giver and the greatest gift of all. We get to be with him. And that's point three. In God, we experience and we find ultimate joy. In Christ, we find ultimate joy because he reconciled us. Like verse 11, it says, after saying all this, he says, more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Like after unpacking these amazing gifts, Paul says, more than that, 
Like there's more. It's like a late night commercial. He's like, hey, call now. There's more. And he keeps going. He's like, more than everything that came before in chapter five. Paul's actually, this whole of chapter five, one to 11 is one thought. And he says, more than everything, more than being justified by faith, more than having peace with God, more than having access to his grace, more than a distant but confident hope, more than sufferings that strengthen us, more than our sin being removed, more than being justified, declared righteous before God, more than being saved from the wrath of God, more than all of these glorious causes to be thankful and rejoicing, we get to rejoice in God himself. That's better and greater. And he tells us how, and he says it's through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've now received reconciliation. We have bought back together with God by Christ's work on the cross. And we have been reconciled. We have the Holy Spirit living and dwelling in us, been poured out on us. We get God. 1 Peter 3.18, he says, Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Why? That he might bring us to God. Like, don't lose sight of this truth, this reality. We get God. And notice, it's not just in the future, it's now. It's now, he says, through Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have now received reconciliation. It's not something just future. We've been reconciled to God now. Like, once we were enemies, we either hated or we feared God or some of both. And now we can freely enjoy God. He done he got us to, brought us to God. He made it possible for us to appreciate and experience the delight in God. We get to contemplate the greatness and the goodness of God, and we can rejoice that he would love such a one as me. We can look at all these great gifts that he's lavished on us, and in the giving, we see the unmatched glory of the giver. So that's the gospel we need to preach to ourselves. See the greatness of God, and we mustn't let it settle into kind of a hard-hearted, hard-headed, theoretical head knowledge. Like, this is your Savior who loves you and died for your sin. One author put it like this. It says, yes, through the gospel we get our sins forgiven. Yes, we are set free from shame. Yes, we gain entrance into an eternal place where we will never, ever suffer again. These things are staggering. But these things are not why the gospel is good news. The gospel is good news because in Christ we finally see a glory that will totally satisfy us and enthrall us forever, the glory of God. And we are supposed to be stunned. Our souls are supposed to be drinking with delight, not merely gaining doctrinal clarity. We get the greatest treasure in existence. We have been reconciled with the source of ultimate joy, the one that fills that empty spot, the only one that will fill that empty spot, the glorious God of the universe, together with what was once wretched, weak sinners, now saved by grace, his children. Like This is where our joy needs to be anchored in this season, in all of the time. Not in our gifts, not in our situation, not in our relationships and our families, not in our jobs. I mean, these are all good things, all gifts from God, but they should point us back to the giver. They should point us back to God. Christ deemed it worth dying in order to reconcile you back to God. Think about that. Christ decided that it was worth giving up his life in order to accomplish bringing you to God. He is the only one that will satisfy the longing in your heart. He is the only perfect, lasting source of joy. What was it you were longing for this Christmas? We just had Christmas. What was it you were longing for? I mean, I'd be happy if I just got that toy that game, that work bonus, if my family didn't fight, I'd be happy if I wasn't lonely. I'd be happy if my kids would just behave, if my spouse didn't 
I'm not going to say anything there. I'll get in trouble. Uh, think about that. More than all of that thing, more than whatever that thing was that you said, I will be happy in. If I just had, fill in the blanks in your head, that one thing, if, I, if this just changed in my life, I would be happy. More than all of those things, we have God. Rejoice in God. He is the Lord. If God answers that prayer and gives you well-behaved kids or gives you a job or heals a sickness, then praise him and thank him that he did that, but rejoice in him. Let that greatness of his gift reveal how much greater he is. And if he doesn't answer or doesn't answer yet, rejoice in God. You already have the greatest gift. Rejoice in who he is and what he's done. This season, you have already received the greatest gift in the universe. And don't try to satisfy yourself with lesser things. We mustn't. We got to get our focus back on God. We need to dwell in his word. We need to see his glory and rejoice in him because he is a worthy focus. Church, we need to get our eyes on Christ. We need to anchor our hearts in the depths of his love, the one who died for us while we were sinners. We need to meditate on the greatness of his mercy. He removed the wrath that we deserved and every other obstacle so that we could joy in God. That is undeserved mercy. And we have this joy in God, so we need to declare this hope to those around us. This is the hope of the gospel. This is the reason for the gospel. It's the goal of the gospel, that we have the source of ultimate joy that everyone is longing for. Right? 2 Corinthians tells us that we have been, since we've been reconciled with God, we have now been given this ministry of reconciliation. We now have this, this ministry to go and tell others that you can be brought back together with the ultimate source of joy, with the greatest being in the universe. You can experience God. You can know God. You can have a relationship with God, the one who loved you enough to lay down his son, to give him up. Jesus, who, lay, who died for you, the Holy Spirit who works in you and stores you and points you back to him and provides peace. We have to declare this hope. We get to declare this hope. I get to go and tell others of the greatest joy. You get to go and tell them. Imagine if you got to go tell somebody, like, hey, I've got a lottery ticket. It's a million dollars. Here you go. This is greater. We might not believe it. We might not even see it sometimes, but it is greater. We have the greatest joy in the universe, and we get to tell others of that. He is greater than whatever you're going through. His, the joy you'll find in him is greater than your suffering. I know that's heavy, but it's true. He is greater than your suffering. He is more glorious than your shame. He is more loving than the greatest rejection you have ever faced. He is more than enough to rejoice and exult in, in even the darkest moments of our life. Even the darkest moments, Christ is more than enough to rejoice in, and, and even when you don't feel like it, because honestly, we all, I don't feel like it. There's times when I don't feel it. There's times, and in those moments, God hasn't changed. Your, my focus has. Our focus has changed in the moments. We need, our eyes have been pulled off of God. So we need to preach the gospel back to ourselves in those moments. Preach the truth. See the greatness of the gifts that he has given to you, who was once a sinner, now made a child of king. We need to pray like David did in Psalm 27, verse 4. And he says, one thing I have asked of the Lord, one thing that I will seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to acquire, inquire in his temple. And we need to keep praying that and preaching the gospel to ourselves until we can say like Paul, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. See, in God, through Christ, we see unimaginable depths of love. We get to experience unimaginable depths of love. And we experience and have experienced undeserved mercy and in God, through Christ, we will find and we find our ultimate joy. So let the goodness of these gifts, the goodness of his mercy and the goodness of his love, what he's done, let the goodness of those gifts show us the greatness of the giver. And as you see those gifts and as you see this, exult in him, boast in him. 
That's the, the word rejoice. He's saying he's just rejoice in God, boast in God, exalt in God, declare how awesome he is. We get to be with God. And that's where Paul says, more than all of the things that God has done, more than everything else, we get to rejoice in this God, this glorious great God for all of eternity.